Can you hear me in the back? Pretty good. I'll, I'll try to speak also <laughs> rather than mumble. Day two, and you're still here. It's not always guaranteed. So it's, it's good to see you. I'm just gonna start off by saying also that the Dhamma talks are given in a lot of different flavors and styles. In uh, the way that I'm currently exploring a little bit is um, kind of trusting what emerges. Um, I may say some things that are useful to you in your practice, but a lot of what I might say may be kind of deep reminders uh, that you somehow know already of intuitively or somewhere deep down. I did want to share a little bit, just kind of big picture, you know, what we're doing here. What is this project all about? Um, Even after I've been doing years and years of, of retreats, practices, uh, spending months at a time. It's amazing that uh, I'll still at times <clears throat> do some, I'll find myself, you know, walking or kind of sitting and question so easily arises, like, what am I doing? <laughs> How did I get here? I'm pretty sure we haven't joined the cult, but uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an open question. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the cult is belonging to the human experience. Uh, somehow we all signed up for this process of being here. I was kind of sensing my body at some point today and uh, I was just thinking about all the nerves, the nerve endings that we have in this one form, the head and face, arms, chest, torso, legs, feet, hands. So we're so exquisitely sensitive to experience. It's almost a miracle that we can make it through life being so, so sensitive. 
And for better or worse, practice makes us even more sensitive. It's for better, don't worry. But I do want to share that I remember this is, uh, I had uh, become a monk for a couple years in Burma and so I thought I had a lot of my, uh, my shit together, my stuff together. <laughs> I don't cuss that often, but every now and again, it's good to just say a word like that because it helps my nervous system go, okay, right, I don't have to be precious. <laughs> so I didn't have my shit together. <laughs> and, um, uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I had everything figured out. And I remember being at home, spending time with my parents again, because I was trying to normalize uh, what I had kind of ventured into and trying, trying to reassure them that I uh, was still me, you know, I'm here. Love you, mom. Love you, dad, in case you're listening. <laughs> Anyways, I wanted to, to really show them that I was normal uh, in some ways. So I was spending months at home and you know, TV is part of uh, their lives. And, and uh, I remember watching commercials. And every commercial would make me cry. <laughs> and I, I actually started to think, oh, this is hopeless. <laughs> I, I can't believe how sensitive I'm becoming. <laughs> so sensitivity, you know, is, is part of what uh, part of what happens as we are willing, in a way, to just you know show up and be here. And I think it's easy to forget, in some ways, that the process is happening. You're already going to be more sensitive than when you arrived 48 hours ago. And teachers will often say that um, we really are the worst judge of our own uh, process, our own unfolding. So it's very difficult to kind of know what's going on, how the change is happening. And, you know, it's drop by drop, you know, the bucket, gets full, but no particular drop seems to make a difference. So, returning to the breath isn't pointless. And you're not, you're not wasting your time. And that's often kind of a question that arises, like what's What's the point of remembering my breath or knowing how I'm feeling, remembering there's a body, starting to recognize that the mind is thinking and caught in stories. So every time that we take a moment and Incline the mind towards remembering, being mindful, being aware. At that moment, 
we're dispelling what's called delusion, not knowing, being ignorant. And what are we ignorant of is really ignorant or deluded about the current experience, what's happening. And all that we need to do is simply remember anything. Oh, there's a body. So simple, there's a body. And yet we can spend a lot of our days not remembering there's a body. There's feelings. And there's hearing and seeing. So one of the things that we've um, emphasized a little bit so far is relaxing, not trying too hard, seeing the kind of inclined postures that this group on whole kind of is really manifesting. I think you guys are really exemplifying this kind of chilled out, relaxed attitude. It's actually a very helpful stance to take. Not that we wanted to veer too much into just being casual. And this is something that uh, I like the distinction that Joseph Goldstein would make between being relaxed and being casual. And casual in that sense would just in some ways um, not being diligent about the practice and trying to find that, what does that mean to really be relaxed, but not, not holding on, not, not uh, gripping too tightly so that the practice can be something that feels alive, feels available, feels easy, and then we can keep doing it in a sustainable way rather than you know, I think when we try really hard, we can, we can sustain it for a little bit. And then at some point, anything that's not sustainable, it'll, it'll fall apart, it'll collapse. So the encouragements that we'll really be trying to support you is to find this way of, of having mindfulness be something that becomes natural, a natural part of how we experience the moment. the availability of connecting to experience. You know, it is so, it is so immediate. And part of what we need to really do is in some ways understand what mindfulness is. And I think when we, at the beginning, it's like there is a, a, uh, an involvement in being mindful. It's almost like we're trying to do mindfulness. In a way, that's something that we need to, in, you know, in the beginning, it's like getting the motor, the engine running. Because the momentum of daily life tends to be one of uh, weakening our clarity, weakening remembering our experience. So oftentimes as we come on retreat, 
And the motor needs a lot of reminding. Okay, is the mind aware? Can I feel the breath? What's happening now? So we're checking frequently. But then what happens is we start to actually begin to think we have to do the awareness. And the awareness then becomes something that we're either searching for or feel that it's difficult to attain rather than feeling really available. And one of the things that uh, the teacher that I had worked with a lot would say is, mindfulness itself is not hard, it's not difficult. But what is hard is the conditioning of our mind to forget to check, to be aware. So last night when Nikki was asking the question, are you aware that you're hearing? Just dropping that question in and the attention goes to hearing. And we remember, oh right, I'm hearing the content of what's being spoken, if you're paying attention. And then there's the function of actually hearing. So right now, if I ask you, if your eyes are open, are you aware that you're seeing? And we'll have a moment of kind of interactive Dharma. So are you aware that you're seeing? Yeah. And when did you become aware that you were seeing? when I asked the question. And how much energy did that take? Very little, almost nothing. Just hearing the question, are you aware that you're seeing? And it's the same goes with, can you feel the sensations on the sitting bones? So by saying that, the attention goes there and then there we are, we're aware of that experience. So the energy that's required is, is a very light energy of checking the mind to see what is it aware of and what can I be aware of. And then in about 10 seconds, you'll no longer be aware that you're seeing. Let's see, we'll count. Well, now we're waiting, so now you're still aware that you're seeing. So in a way, it's like just playing with this, playing with this quality of how much energy do I really need right now to know what's going on? In these uh, opening days of retreat, we do tend to experience a lot of the residue of heart and mind and body that surfaces. And I think one of the reasons why we find it hard, what we consider hard, is that we don't like what it is that we're seeing. We don't like what we're experiencing. So more and more now when I hear some comment from a yogi, someone who's practicing. I can't be aware because of blank. You know, I can't be aware because of the back pain or because someone is breathing loudly 
or because my mind keeps thinking. And then people will actually give incredible amount of detail of all the things that they can't be aware of. (laughs) And it's remarkable because how much is being known without any awareness is astonishing to me, right? And so what we really mistaken is not liking experience as somehow being counter to knowing experience. And this is in a way fundamental to what we're doing is to discover the tendency when there's an unpleasant experience, what happens? There tends to be a reaction, a movement in the mind and heart that pushes it away. I don't want to experience this. Not now, you know. And every time we have something that's a pleasant experience, we move towards it. I want this to continue. And this is kind of the cult, I would say, of humanity, right? Is we are all conditioned. We all have a mind that is being conditioned, at least in this life, over and over again. Every contact of unpleasant, the mind reacts, it resists. And it's so natural, it's not wrong, it's so natural. Every time there's a pleasant experience, the mind likes it, we want more of it. And the Buddha talked so much about this mechanism as being kind of fundamental to why it is that we suffer. So suffering isn't random. When we know that there's a cause behind our experience, whether it's joyful and easeful, or contracted and painful. Now we know that there's a path and it's not random. Ajahn Chah, wonderful Thai forest master, meditation master, he used to, he was known kind of to be a bit tough, but very funny also. I don't know if he would try and scare Westerners away, but that's one of his senior students often thought, it's like, why do you ask these questions when people arrive? It's sort of off-putting. But he would ask, you know, newcomers, have you come here to suffer? (laughs) And sort of a strange, like, welcome here. Like, oh, welcome. Instead it's like, have you come here to suffer? You know, and he was, 
He also had this uh, saying that there's the suffering that leads to more suffering and the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And, and this is kind of what we're picking up. We're taking up as a path of a way of being with experience, being with our edge of what's difficult, what's hard, learning how to grow our capacity rather than to distract and go unconscious, to avoid, you know, or just be lost in the story of our experience, the ruminating mind. Can I start to really move into my own life, return home to what is already happening? You know, so the Dharma to me is this very profound invitation to be real, to be sensitive. You know, what's extraordinary about that is every lesson that we open to, it applies to everyone else. You know, and it's so easy to be with people we don't really know and we just see them as different. You know, we do, we have different stories, different heritages. But on a much deeper level, we are so connected in the human experience. It's you know, very universal, which is why these teachings have been around for so long and millions of people are practicing today and have practiced in the past and have gained an extraordinary amount of freedom. This is a path that has been well walked on, well tested, and shown to bring results.
think during one of my talks, eventually I'm going to see if I can go for the record of silence in between my sentences. There's a teacher who saying one of their teachers, they were aspiring to be like their teacher, uh, an Asian uh, a teacher from Japan, who would actually uh, be so relaxed on stage, they would oftentimes fall asleep while giving a talk. <laughs> yeah, so it's already self-conscious enough just sitting as a yogi. Imagine giving a talk and being so comfortable with whatever arises, you just kind of drift off. And <laughs> my nervous system is amped. I'll know I'm getting somewhere when I'm falling asleep. <laughs> uh. So I want to I want to tease out a little bit more about um, just parts of the practice. <coughs> so in these uh, beginning instructions, we've been talking a lot about body and the breath as a good place to land with awareness. Um, you know, there's nothing particularly special about body and breath other than they're always here. Hard to get away from our bodies. And the breath is always happening, right? So there are available experiences and we don't tend to be in the body in the past too much. You know, we're not living tomorrow's body. So in a way they anchor us kind of in the present moment, uh, and they're really uh, a clear resource for awareness. But it is just a place for the awareness to get established and to get stronger. And as we have more moments of mindfulness and awareness, what can start to happen is more objects, more experiences start to become known. You might already be having that where you're aware of hearing more often, aware of seeing. We become more sensitive to how much the mind is thinking, how much it's judging, comparing, So how do we use kind of whatever it is that we are seeing in our experience as further supports for mindfulness, for awareness? So Nikki gave the acronym uh, FIRE last night and I don't wanna give too many instructions or things to try and remember, but this one is just three. So it's uh, maybe not as hard (laughs) than four. (laughs) But fire is pretty easy. 
Anyway, so my, this is again from my teacher Saida Utejaniya, and he would he would oftentimes give yogis uh, three jobs, three yogi jobs. And the reason why he said he wanted to give them specific yogi jobs is most of the time the way that we are moving towards experience is being fueled by some kind of defilement, some wanting, right, some aversion, some resistance, some judgment. And if we stay very clear and simple about what is our domain of practice, what am I supposed to do in my practice? And we can check the mind, we can really see, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And what's outside of that, you know, we can really start to hone in and see, okay, practice is actually very simple. So one of the things that he, he would say, the first job is, to have right view in the mind. Right view. And for those of you that know the, the, the Noble Eightfold Path, which is the path that the Buddha described as being that which leads us towards the end of suffering, and there's eight factors of that, right view is the very first one. So how do we look at experience that it leads us onwards? And the right in the, in the Noble Eightfold Path is really right because it leads to the end of suffering, both for ourselves and for others, for those around us. So what is wrong views? What is the wrong view? And again, wrong just simply means when we have that view in mind, it tends to lead to the mind that is contracted, in some ways caught, inexperience, and this is where we feel the sense of struggle. So the basic wrong view that we have is me, I, and mine. The personal personality, the self-view of experience. We tend to make things personal. And this can be a little kind of challenging at first when we hear this because what is most intimate and dear to us is ourself. And that is still true. But what is extra is the tendency to own and to possess. And when we own and possess, in a way the flow of experience is no longer available. So for example, and say a difficult emotion is arising. And I relate to it as my experience, my anxiety. What tends to happen is more resistance. I don't like it. I want to get rid of it. It's got to stop. And simply by bringing in a reminder of this is natural. And this is a natural function of the mind. Anxiety is, is part of what will arise when the conditions are here. Frustration, judgment, anger, boredom, sleepiness, doubt, and then the wholesome factors, joy, kindness, love, wisdom, awareness. All of these conditions are well, 
the, all of these factors of mind are conditioned, right? They will arise when the, when the conditions come together for that particular quality to arise. So when we introduce in our practice, we just drop it into, into the mind, the reflection, oh, this is nature. To me, I can, I can let go a little bit. I can soften. I don't have to be in charge, in control. It's like beginning to trust the unfolding of experience to be as it is. None of us are creating this moment of experience. Right? Hearing is happening, not created. Seeing is happening. Emotions are happening. These are conditions that are just rolling on. And if we had kind of this ownership of things, we could, in fact, stop right now. And yet, try, right? Try to stop experience. We can't, you know, we can kill ourselves, but that doesn't do it. But we can't stop, we can't stop. And that really points fundamentally to this kind of unfolding and why we call the mind and body part of process. It's part of nature. It's so right for you. And just explore that. And when there was a question this morning about how do I relax around pain? How do I relax or enjoy something like pain or contraction in the body? Very difficult when we see it through the lens of my pain happening to me. It's very difficult. But shifting the view begins to enable us to actually move towards experiences that are otherwise overwhelming and painful. Oh, this is unpleasant. And the mind is really aversive to it. It really doesn't like it. Oh, that's what's going on. Okay, can I just hang out with that a bit? My heart is really aching from a loss. Oh, right, that's natural, that's grief. Can I be with that? Some right views. And then the second one, Second job is to check to see if you're aware. So first we establish, am I relating to this experience in a way that enables me to be with it in a balanced way? And then we just remind ourselves, oh, this is what's being known. And what is being known? What is it? Is it body? Is it mind? Is it emotions, thoughts? So very simply supporting moments of knowing. And then the third job is to continue. So it's really just two things. (laughs) But I've been uh, thinking and kind of adding my own flavor into this third category, which is to check to see if the mind is balanced. So now that we're kind of further into retreat, And it's natural, difficult experiences come up. 
sitting longer. Maybe the armoring is softening a little bit. It's natural for there to be difficulty when we call difficult experiences. You know, and I was talking with one of the groups, the interview groups today about oftentimes the nature of attention is to seek what is threatening. You know, I know for myself, if I close my eyes and I just let my attention go to wherever it wants to go, it's gonna look for what's on fire in my experience, where the danger is. So the mind almost stays in a hypervigilant state, getting really reactive. And then it resists and almost builds a a habit of being caught in, you know, like a trauma vortex, just being stuck there over and over again. So we need to know how to check our mind. Can I be with this experience? Does bringing in a right view of with what's arising, does that bring some balance? Does looking at how the mind's relating to the experience, does that bring some balance? That I can start to see the aversion and the, re- and the resistance to it. And if that does, we can just stay there and learn a lot about the nature of reactions in the mind of not liking what's unpleasant and learn everything we need to know about aversion or wanting, right? Because that's what informs us is to see things for what they are. But when we're looking at an object, meaning whatever experience is presenting itself and that object is overwhelming and we simply feel caught in a kind of ongoing state of reactivity and it feels just too much to bear and the mind doesn't feel like it has some balance to be with experience, it can be really helpful to know that the mind is watching something that's very difficult and that you can move the attention to something that helps to balance the mind. So one way of describing our experience, human experience of this moment, is objects or experiences that are being known, right? So if we removed everything that was being known right now, all sights, all sounds, all sensory experiences, there'd be nothing there, nothing happening. So our experience, ongoing experience of, of life is one of objects being known, experiences being known. When the mind is being impacted again and again by what triggers the mind, right? What happens is this sense of reactivity and self, which leads to our suffering in response to experience, keeps going. It keeps getting ignited. When we move the mind to an experience that feels more pleasant, what happens? Or something more neutral? Usually, the mind gains some balance, some ease. 
And as we learn how to be with different aspects of our experience, the range of what it is that we can actually begin to open to starts to broaden, it deepens. I can be with more difficult experiences because I'm a little bit less entangled. I can see it for what it is. Oh, it's a changing, arising, new moment that's happening right now, ceasing right now. Pain isn't solid, it's not permanent. It's something that I can feel into. And then I can also feel the mind pushing against it. All right, that's fundamental to habits of mind, something unpleasant and there's aversion there. Can watch the aversion for a while and at times equanimity, just allowing, being interested in pain or something difficult or something pleasant. So that's kind of the territory that we're exploring. So then just one last piece around practice on this level. Um, When we talk about something that's being known, which is our experience, and there's the knowing of it, there is also a way that we're relating to experience. And I just wanna say that that relationship is what we call the attitude of mind. One way of describing that is how is the mind relating? What's the attitude of mind? And that's where we see something like how the mind reacts to experience. That's where we'll see aversion to what's unpleasant. We'll see the wanting experience to change, right? That's the wanting. Or we'll see, at times we can see this a little bit more difficult, but the delusion around experience. We don't recognize something that is changing as impermanent, something that's not self as simply nature. We don't see it for what it is. And we don't see that, we can actually start to recognize, oh, that's the function of delusion in relating to experience. And the reason why that's so important is because our normal way of judging our suffering, what makes us suffer, is we point to the experience. And the Buddha was very clear that because suffering has a cause and the cause arises in the mind, there's a way for suffering to come to an end. And this suffering is how the mind is relating to different experiences. And so the very same experience, like unpleasantness of sitting, pain in the body, when it's met with aversion, that to the extent that there is aversion in the mind and clinging identification to that degree, we suffer. As we begin to relate to it in a more balanced way, remembering that it's just an experience I can be with, can actually feel the suffering begin to diminish. And that's what we're cultivating, relating to experience, learning how to relate to experience. And the way we move in that direction, ordinary moments of being aware, 
trusting that it, that's enough, knowing there's a breath, knowing there's the body, feeling how we feel and what's going on. So everything we need to know reveals itself. It just takes patient, persistent practice. So I thought I was going to mostly have questions. I was going to tell you that we were going to do mostly questions tonight, but I've gobbled up all the time. So we'll do some tomorrow. And we'll just uh, take some time together to be in the silence. allowing this moment to be as it is and allowing it to be good enough. Thank you for your attention and for your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.